This is the Hunt Quietly Podcast. I'm Matt Ranella. Wit, Jim, thanks for coming on. We're going to talk about the farm bill a little bit today. Uh, Part of the farm bill is this VPA HIP. It's a voluntary public access habitat improvement project. It's a program that's how old, Wit? It started the 2008 farm bill. Okay. And uh, it's administered by the NRCS and it it, uh, provides funding to encourage private landowners to allow hunting access and engage in habitat improvement. Is that a good way of summarizing? Yeah, that's a good, uh, good way of talking about it. Uh, Jim and I have been trying to celebrate and educate about access program, state run access programs throughout the country on the podcast. We've had people on from, uh, Fish and Game Management Agencies in Utah, Wisconsin, Iowa, um, Montana, Montana, yeah, and there's a couple more episodes in the works, and all of these, most of these state-run programs, and there's so many more than I ever knew. You probably know that there more more states have them than not. I didn't realize that, Uh, but uh, none of them are as big as our block management program. But it's just heartening to see that that the that most states, I think most states probably have these, and a lot of them derive some of their funding from this VPA HIP. Uh, The Utah folks, we just had them on. They don't. They get their funding from some kind of fish and wildlife service grant. Would you do you know anything about that? Pot I'm not sure which one they got. Yeah, there's a there are multi state grants that the Fish and Wildlife Service administers that come. Uh, they go out for a variety of different activities. This could well be one of them. So that's probably what they're talking about. Okay. Wait, so, wait. I'm sorry, Matt. No, go ahead, Jim. I was going to say, would it make sense to give us a 30,000 foot uh, review of the farm bill first? Yeah, it'd be fine. Let me uh, just sort of, you know, give you both a, you know overview of the farm bill and then sort of how this, you know, VPA HIP program came into being you know, back in 2008. So the farm bill is obviously one of the, you know, the big pieces of federal spending every five years. And we're coming up to a new farm bill, the, the current farm bill is set to expire at the end of September. And so Congress is debating a new one. Um, Most people think about the Farm Bill as subsidies to farmers for agriculture. And there's certainly that. A lot of the direct subsidies have been replaced by crop insurance so that if you have a failure in your crop, you get paid for by an insurance program and not just straight subsidies every year. But it is uh, back in the 1980s when we were having that real farm crisis and a lot of folks uh, you know, we're having a hard time, especially smaller farmers staying in business. That's really when the, you know, the, a lot of the conservation programs began, like the Conservation Reserve Program. And they were originally programs to essentially pay farmers not to farm. 
and uh, as a way to stay on the land. But then yeah, they became so popular because they were so good for conservation, good for water quality, good for fish and wildlife, good for hunting, you know, that they became sort of an integral part of the farm bill. And in the last farm bill we passed, there was actually more money spent on conservation programs than there was on, you know, commodity programs. And their total, if you look around the country, they're about 140 million acres that are enrolled in some sort of, you know, farm bill conservation program. Conservation reserve program is probably the most well-known CRP with hunters. They're about, you know, 27 million acres enrolled in that. And uh, that is you know, really designed to take, you know, the most marginal lands out of production and put them into conservation and with fish and wildlife being a major part of that. But there are also a variety of other programs like the Environmental Quality Incentives Program, EQIP, you know, which may pay a farmer, say, to improve his irrigation system so that he has more water in stream, you know, for fish. Or it may be to, you know, fix his, you know, manure management program on his farm. Or to reduce, you know, revise fencing to make it easier for wildlife to pass. So there are a lot of different ways that farm bill programs can be used that benefit wildlife, benefit you know hunters and anglers. But in the uh, TRCP Theodore Roosevelt Conservation Partnership was created in 2002 by a fellow named Jim Range, and Jim had been Howard Baker's chief counsel, and Howard Baker was the majority leader of the Senate back in the Reagan days. Um, Jim and Baker were both from Eastern Tennessee, old school Republican hunting and fishing guys cared a lot about conservation. And, you know, Jim had a small ranch up in Montana, but then hunted a lot on basically, you know, private lands as well as public lands. And he started to see how the, you know, sort of access had changed over time. You'd have in the old days, anybody could knock on farmer's door and get permission to go either cross their land or hunt their land, you know, maybe in exchange for an elk steak or you know, whatever it might be. And then as that, you know, as a lot of those farms, you know, got bought out by, you know, rich Californians or New Yorkers or wherever they may be, Texans, you know, a lot of that traditional private access was lost. And uh, in a few states, you know, tried to get sort of ahead of the curve on this and create walk-in programs, Montana being one of the earlier ones, Kansas, they would actually pay landowners to open up their land for public hunting and fishing. Because listen, it can be a pain in the ass for a landowner to deal with, you know, the you know the public hunting on his or her property, and they leave gates open, they fall in a ditch and hurt themselves. There's liability issues. They're bad actors. So you had a combination of just changing demographics as well as some poor hunter behavior that you know started shrinking that private land access. And as we lost private land access, we also lost public land access because often, particularly in the West. You know, private land has those, you know, lower elevation areas, you know, that are more, you know, more water, you know, better for farming, and then the public lands and the mountains behind them. And uh, so not only do you lose access on private lands, we're losing access on public lands. So Jim and, you know, Howard Vincent at Pheasants Forever and the folks at the Association of Fish and Wildlife Agencies, you know, decided they wanted to create a program in the Farm Bill a voluntary program that would compensate landowners to open up their lands for public hunting, fishing, recreation. And uh, the first time that passed was in 2008 in the 2008 Farm Bill, and it was affectionately known as Open Fields at that time. Uh, but the technical you know, name of the program was the Voluntary Public Access Habitat Improvement Program. 
And uh, it was you know, super popular right from the beginning. And it was a $50 million program. And not only did it sort of expand things like the block management program, in Montana, or the plots program in North Dakota, or you know, whatever they have in South Dakota, but yeah, also, the block management program doesn't, it doesn't, isn't funded by that. It doesn't at all now. No, I don't think it ever was, but okay. I wrong about that. Anyway, so, but, but I mean, right. I mean, not, yeah, not that's up to the state it. to figure out how they want to use it, yeah. expand their existing programs or they can do something new with it. But one of the cool things when it passed was that states with very limited, you think of pub, private, you know, public lands like Connecticut, Massachusetts, you know, states like that actually develop programs because now there was some federal funding in it. And, you know, so since 2008, it's become sort of a more institutionalized program within the Farm Bill, still funded at $50 million annually. And the way it works is individual landowners don't apply to the federal government for grants, the states do. And uh, so states apply, you can get up to $3 million for a state. And uh, then the states go in and negotiate, you know, agreements with individual landowners. And there's a ton of flexibility there. So they can negotiate, you know, a limited access, certain times, certain species. And uh, so, it, you know, just it made a lot more sense having the state administer these programs than the federal government. So all the federal government does is just provide grants to the states. And the program became so popular that, you know, yeah, we've been arguing that it really ought to be bigger than it is right now. Instead of a $50 million program, it ought to be a $150 million program. And so we have a what is known as a marker bill in Congress right now called the Voluntary Public Access Improvement Act of 2023. Uh, there's a House and a Senate version. Um, the House version you know, was introduced by Dusty Johnson of South Dakota, Debbie Dingell of Michigan, you know, Democrat, Republican, or Republican, Democrat. And then the Senate version was Steve Daines um, from Montana, um, Michael Bennett from Colorado, and Roger Marshall from Kansas. Those are the three lead sponsors in the Senate. But that program would grow it from a $50 million program to a $150 million program. Because according to the Association of Fish and Wildlife Agencies, that is the unmet demand now from the private landowners to get into the program. So, you know, that's where we are right now. Um, the unmet de bill, demand. Yep, go ahead. The unmet demand is that the, the compensation isn't sufficient, you're saying? Correct. There, they think, feel there's three times as much demand for the program as there is funding for it. Now, okay. that demand may be just straight additional acres, or it may be, you know, higher payments for an individual acre to compete with private leases or, you know, other temptations that might be out there. Yeah. And the, also the cool thing about, you know, the VPA HIP program is that a landowner is basically prioritized if they're also enrolled in other farm bill conservation programs like CRP, Equip, things like that. So you know that when you're a land, you're a hunter and you're going out there, you're not going to be looking at basically bare ground that's been you know grazed to death. It's going to actually be something that has viable wildlife on it. Yeah, I just had a guy stay at my house last night that it's been on the podcast and he was just coming through. I'd never met him in person, but he's from North Dakota and he was telling me that that's one of the ways that that's a it maybe the only way, I don't know, that the plots program mm -hmm. uh that that gets abused is that people enroll property in plots that just has very little value to wildlife. Yeah, and I think some of that's probably inevitable. But listen, I mean, that's incumbent upon sure. the state agencies to yeah. you know, monitor that stuff. Yeah, And uh, it's also incumbent upon if a hunter like your buddy goes out there and sees that, report it to the state agency. 
and right. to say, hey, this is a this was crap. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And, and so the the farm bill is five years, correct? Correct. Yep. And that hundred and fifty million would be annually. No, that's a total for the five years. So okay. what we're going to be doing is again, it's not an annual program that, that sense. So a state will apply for up to a three year grant and get you know say right now the cap is three million dollars what a state can get. And uh, but then because you're really you know this was you know one time disbursement, but then the state has that three to more years to put that money on the ground. Okay. And uh, presumably, if this gets instituted, then the three million per state cap would increase. You know, that's a great question. I should have looked that up before I got on here, but yeah, I would assume that would be part of the incentive here too. We have three times as much money. It doesn't make any sense to have you know, that low a cap anymore. So I would assume it at least gets doubled or tripled. And so was that 150? Really their, you, you, go ahead. I'm sorry, go ahead. No, just saying this. So the states that have their act together that really want to expand this program have the ability to do that. And and was that 150 proposed by TRCP? Yeah, so we have a something called the Wild, Agriculture and Wildlife Working Group. So shortly after a farm bill passes, yeah, we will reconvene the community, at least the ones that care about the farm bill, and start thinking about the next farm bill. And uh, there are 26 different groups. And you go to trcp.org and you know, Google you know, farm bill, you can find the list of all the groups that are part of that. But what we do is we sit down and we hash out you know, what we think is working, what's not working, what needs to be expanded, what could be reformed. And that becomes our platform for the next farm bill. And part of that is, you know, as we see it implemented on the ground, we get a lot of feedback from the Pheasants Forever, the Turkey Federation, Mule Deer Foundation, groups like that. They're saying, okay, this is working really well, but this is not. And uh, so then it's up to us and their partners in D.C. as part of this working group to come up with, you know, a better alternative to make these things work better. But the $150 million came out of that working group's recommendations. So it wasn't just us. It was the broader community. A lot of other uh hunting a uh, hunting adjacent conservation orgs exactly how about the hunting industry do they uh support this yeah they've way? been super supportive um we don't have and we'll have they'll weigh in we have a corporate council that includes a bunch of the hunting brands that will weigh in as we get closer to the farm bill about the need for this you know um but you know, the uh, the NGOs, I mean, you know, they're much more active in the details on this. And then the hunting community, we ask them to call somebody to put out an alert. They'll do it. Yeah. So what what, what should uh, our little audience do? Well, listen, every single member of Congress is going to vote on a farm bill. And the first thing to understand is that this is not just about food stamps in the cities. This is about, you know, conservation in rural America. And it's about making sure we have as a nation a reliable food supply for a long time in the future. So this is one of the issues that has always brought Republicans and Democrats together, urban and rural, to pass something. And there's always temptations like to go after food stamps or to go after subsidies for farmers. And you know that is you know that is a very da- dangerous place to go in my mind because it is that strange coalition of urban and rural that allows us to pass this every five years with bipartisan support. So that would be one. Two would be, as you talk to your member of Congress or you know, your you know, senator or your representative, I mean, really stress that as a hunter, you know, this is an incredibly important program. I mean, not only is it putting land into conservation and, you know, through you know, the, the farm bill broadly, 
But through things like the VPA HIP program, it is providing access, which is getting harder and harder for folks to get out there. And not only just access to private land, but then often adjacent public land. So this is a, and you know, there's a guy named Rob Southwick, who has is a, basically an economist, and he did a report on some of the benefits economically to this program since it's been started. And for every dollar invested, there are about eight dollars, I think, in you know basically benefits. That's we VPA saw this hip. back when, yeah, back in the when the program was really early on, way before VPA hip. Kansas had one of their big early programs, and Steve Williams, who went on to become the director of the Fish and Wildlife Service under George W. Bush, and then ran the Wildlife Management Institute, he was running the you know Kansas Game and Fish Department, and the you know the walk-in program that they created became so popular. They were getting counties sending them grants, like $10,000, to expand that program in that county because it was benefiting the motels, the diners, the sporting goods shop. You know, all Does he stuff. work for NRCS now? No, he's retired. He retired okay. this past spring. Okay. Okay. But, but he, and he, he wasn't he'd be a fun guest to get on with you because he, you know, he was really one of the creators of this entire walk-in you know, program nationally. I had several people on from the NRCS a few months ago. And one of them was instrumental in getting the WeHa program up and running. Oh, okay. Yeah. That's, so, that's uh, but anyway, I think that, you know, and people sort of like, geez, I'm just one person. Why are they going to listen to me? But, you know, and again, if you just fill out like a, you know, a form letter on a website, we have those, you can do it on ours. It's helpful, but it's not that helpful. But if you take the time to like, you know, buttonhole your congressman when they're back in the district talking about this stuff or write a letter or call. And the best time to call an office is after the office is closed because it goes straight to voicemail and you can leave a detailed message that will then get transcribed and you know put to the right person on that you know senator or representative staff. But those things really make a difference. I mean it's kind of old school. Um but you know they still pay attention to that way more than they do just a you know, hundred thousand identical emails that come from some you know robo factory someplace. Really, that's wow. good to know. Yeah. So if you're listening, you know, call your senator, call your congressperson. Um, yeah, and, and folks can go on our website and learn more about this. They can see the bill text. They can see you know, how the various programs of the farm bill work. You know, it's trcp.org. And it'll and, be on uh, front and center on the on the website. Yep. Yep. You, okay. Just, there you, you go. Can't, if you can't find something, just type in farm bill or VPA, whatever it is, and you'll go right to those pages, but you'll get way more information than you need in there. And it's not so you know wonky that you want to understand it. It's pretty done in layman's terms. Uh, so well, I, uh, am working on CRP these days. I did a five year project trying to get, improve the ability to get flowering plants to grow on crp to support uh, pollinator insects and then yep. i just start i'm now starting another five-year program on crp so i just thought i'd mention that to you Good. another is thing it, I, uh, has it worked well okay what what i we found with the first one so i'm just doing research like what's the first project was focused on what species tend to work best and so we found that and what we the way the project we did the project is we just took data on everything that would drive the fly wildflower abundance, like the seed rates, the species composition of the seed mix, the tillage practices, the weed pressure, et cetera, et cetera. 
So from that, the biggest finding was the the most actionable finding is that the people waste a lot of money on species that never come up. So we were able to identify some that are particularly reliable. Uh, although, you know, even with the most reliable ones, some fields just don't do well. And a big reason why that is, is because of weeds, crop weeds, annual weeds. So now this follow-up project is, is look at, we're trying to identify herbicide treatments that uh, ward off the weeds for a year or two until these stands get established. So excellent. And then another thing I can't help but mention is our nonprofit that we started to support these state-run programs. Have you caught wind of this at all? I mean, beyond Hunt Quietly? Well, yeah, Hunt Quietly is just an advocacy thing. Okay. The the no our our nonprofit is called Hunters for Access. Oh, good. And what we do is we haven't even been in existence a year yet, but we raise money. Uh, we raised last year was our first year in existence. It was kind of like a pilot program. Program we raised eight thousand dollars just in our little town of Miles City from local businesses, and bought appreciation gifts for farmers and ranchers that are enrolled in our block management program. And then the FWP fish, wildlife parks has these block management appreciation dinners there. And we went and had a presence and then doled out uh, fence, po- a pneumatic fence, post pounder, cash shelters, gift certificates to Murdoch's and ACE hardware, stuff like that. Uh, we just replaced a 16, we partnered with BHA and replaced a six, $1,600 Doc tank that somebody shot up last year. We built some gates for some people that are enrolled in the program that don't like people, hunters climbing over their fences. And then we did nine work projects in Eastern Montana, uh, fixing fence, tearing down a dilapidated building, built a new barn door, built a porch, stuff like that for people, yard work, uh, that's that's awesome. Congratulations for doing that. I mean, it re- reminds me one thing I didn't mention about you know one of the benefits of VPA HIP is that when you enter if you're a landowner, you enter an agreement with the state, then the state assumes liability also. Right. So that's important. You know, you're hunting out there, you fall in a ditch, you break your leg. Um, you know, the, the landowner is not going to get sued. Yeah, block management's been in existence for 27 years, and it and it's a different liability blanket because it's they're they like i say i'm pretty sure they don't get any money from vpa hip but yeah there's never been any anyone get sued or in any kind of legal jeopardy uh yeah and i think that's you know just i think that helps a lot to encourage a landowner to you know move his or her property into the program yeah sure so i think this thing i don't know man i i don't i'm terrible at predicting the future and uh, uh my optimism waxes and wanes but i think this thing might have legs there's already a chapter in kansas and isn't and there start, a chapter forming in minnesota as well and there's there's 10 people now that are in communication about starting a chapter in minnesota yeah that's great send us some information on it we'll uh we'll push it out through our social media channels too oh i will i just wrote a report on everything we've done so far i'll email it to you fantastic yeah 
Wit, you you were you were quoted as saying lack of access is the largest barrier to hunter and angler participation in this article highlighting the 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 VPA. Do you feel like there's a, a momentum change with people in the industry and companies within the industry that are starting to talk about access versus like food plots and the biggest buck that's on the lease? Do you because I, I kind of feel like there's a there's a momentum change where people are actually starting to talk about access and the difficulties we face. Oh, no question about it. I think you're really seeing a sea change. And I think a lot of it's just the fact that it's getting harder and harder to get on the land. But I also think things like, you know, we highlight, you know, the landlocked public land issue, you know, sort of all of a sudden people realize, gosh, we've got these 16 million acres out there that we own, but we can't get onto. And there's a little bit, you know, pisses people off some. Yeah, And then, you know, just the happy side of it is things like the VPA HIP program and the Farm Bill, which is all voluntary. And uh, just, we, you know, we're just trying to get add another layer of things farmers can do to stay on that land and be profitable, but also let responsible hunters, anglers, you know, recreationalists on there. And so, no, I think a lot of folks are talking about it. I think that's why we have traction to, you know, potentially expand this access program in the Farm Bill from 50 to 150 million. So I think, you know, and I think that the, Industry is, you know, it's a bigger priority for them. I think for the NGO community, it's a bigger priority for them. And we just have to do it the right way because we're not going to force anybody to open up their land for, you know, hunting and fishing. And, uh, you know, we just have to make sure it works for them and it works for us. Yeah, it, it does. There are, there's a, if I, there, there is a sense in which it does bother me to some extent, the amount of public money that goes into farms and ranches. Um, and that there's not like a, that, like that there's not a public access for public money, kind of a, um, more of a system like that. Uh, but you alluded to something earlier when you're talking about the farm bill where you thought, like, I gather that if you started to put strings, attach strings to the money, you might not get the conservation work done. Yeah, I mean, there are always going to be some strings attached, but, you know, every, you know, it's, it's, and that's why NRCS basically has, you know, state offices in every state in the country is because, you know, applying that money on the ground is going to differ, you know, where you are. And I think that we have to be sensitive to that and, you know, provide as much flexibility as we can for it to make sense, you know, in New York, as well as Montana, as well as Florida. Yeah. And, uh, you know, so in that sense, I mean, you know, we, I think we rely on folks like the NRCS officers out there that know the landowners, know the farms, you know, know what we're trying to accomplish to, you know, not only make it as easy as possible, but also make sure there's some accountability too. Yeah. Well, I'm glad to see that you think that there's like a momentum shift. I mean, cause I've never in my, in my 40 years as a hunter, I've never seen access get better. I've only ever seen it get worse. Right. And then, and then on top of that, you know, there's less, less habitat to be accessed, you know, mm-hmm. less game rich habitat to be accessed. I mean, to yeah. me, I think of it as the dominant problem facing one of the three dominant problems that other two are an ability to draw tags and crowding facing them hunters today. And, you know, I, I looked at the fish and wildlife service reports I had a hypothesis in mind and I looked at them. They come out every five years. Uh, and I looked at them from 1991 to 2016. And I had my, I, my hypothesis was that cause they, they published data on hunter partici- 
hunter participation by income bracket and there's no i would have thought that we would see that it was becoming a rich man's sport but i was i was heartened to see that that was not the case as near as i could tell but i do worry about that yeah i think it's you know obviously there are you know plenty of rich folks who like to hunt and we know that but it's still you know it's uh, it's pretty part of fabric of rural america and and that is not you know where the rich folks tend to live and so and it's you know these it's, it's where the rich have, folks tend to lease though directly yeah, you're exactly right. <laughs> their so, second you know, home <laughs> i was but, like you know you and i you know you grew up in michigan i grew up in upstate new york hunting had been you know hunt camp was part of the family traditions going back generations and uh you know we just we need to you know maintain that and i think that yeah, I mean, you talk about the you know, last of access is a major problem, and but the you know, the other side of that is making sure when you get access, they're actually game out there, and so that's why I see you know things like you know we we just got a huge slug of money on the climate programs that Congress passed last year for restoration work around the country, and for double the amount of you know money going to farm bill conservation programs from six billion dollars annually to so is this well, part of are you referring to this uh, restoring Americans? No, America's no. Wild this is, I'm talking about the, both the bipartisan infrastructure law as well as the Inflation Reduction Act. Okay. In the Inflation Reduction Act, there was a uh, $40 billion for natural climate solutions and okay. restoration being a big part of that, you know, getting rid of cheat grass, getting rid of you know, pine beetle infested forests. Oh, wow. And you know, so we're not going to go up in smoke someday. So I think you're going to see, we're already seeing it, you know, a huge new investment in restoration in this country. And that should lead to you know better opportunities for a fishing game too. As a restoration ecologist, that's good to hear. Yep. Uh, I uh, so what about that? Do you know what do you what can you tell us about this restoring America's wildlife? So that the Restoring America's Wildlife Act, or RAWA, as we like to call it within the Beltway, is an effort to basically provide stable, long-term, reliable funding for the states to deal with non-game species. Because, you know, the you know, hunters pay into, you know, their programs. So there's generally enough money for white-tailed deer or turkey or, you know, largemouth bass or whatever the species might be. But, you know, the work that the states do on things like butterflies, you know, reptiles, amphibians, all those other things, which are a lot of them are pretty critically endangered. That is really being paid for largely by the hunting community. And uh, because, you know, okay, you're a, you're a biologist is paid for by, you know, Dingle Johnson or, you know, Pittman Robertson, you know, money, you're not going to, you know, not work on, you know, Monarch program because you don't have dedicated funding for it. It's critical. It's going down the tubes. You're going to work on that. <clears throat> so RAWA is an effort to create a long-term, stable, off-budget source of money to go to the states to work on these species, to get them, you know, under control before they become endangered. And that is, you know, but primarily really focused on the non-game species. Okay. But listen, we're hugely supportive of it because habitat's habitat. Right. And oh, you're doing I, right yeah. There. yeah. There's there's going to be spillover benefits to game species. I'd argue we should all be supportive of it in for these endangered species in and of themselves as right. well. You know? Yeah. But, you know, to get, you know, you're not going to you know, be creating zoos and, you know, captive breeding facilities. What we're talking about is protecting habitat and restoring habitat and, re you know, basically you know, restoring native habitats. And all that is good for fish and wildlife and including yeah. the things we like to chase. Right. Yeah, because yeah, you, you don't want uh, 
those those critters that we like to chase to be off limits because there's an endangered species in the habitat is is uh is right. off limits. Well, I mean, plus it's you know just sort of an indictment. Anytime you have an endangered species, that we're not doing a very good job at you know protecting that habitat. Period. Right. And uh, you know, so okay, let's do, let's do a better job. And you know, if it's for you know butterflies or frogs and or whether it's for you know sage grass or you know sharp tail grass. Well, that's great. Anything else, Jim? Yeah, I was going to ask about the working group. I'm looking at the list right now, and most of them are hunting organizations, but there's a few that jump out, the the Wildlife Society and the Nature Conservancy that aren't typically hunting organizations. Is is there an effort to bring more traditionally non-hunting uh, organizations into the working group that would support the funding. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So, I mean, we're very much a big tent of the 63 different groups under our overall umbrella. I mean, all of them have something to do with hunting and fishing, but yeah, we have land trust community, nature conservancy, land trust Alliance, trust for public land conservation fund. And because a lot of people you know, hunt on the, you know, the places that those folks protect. Sure. Also groups like the nature conservancy have a very sophisticated government affairs office in DC um, and, uh, you know, they're a great partner and they're really sophisticated and get a lot of stuff done. So no, we, we often will try to reach out and bring other folks in. You'll see in that working group is, you know, the tall timbers research station down in, you know, outside of Tallahassee. And they're really ones part, one of the organizations that pioneered the use of fire and particularly the quail country down there, but now are being sought after by the state of California and others about how do we reintroduce fire into a lot of places we haven't had it. And uh, so they have a tangential hunting connection, but they are top flight researchers and uh, they benefit what we do. So, yeah, no, we're, we're, we're very much a big tent. If you've got good ideas, we want you engaged. Yeah. What about your, your, like you mentioned earlier, where you're like, as soon as the farm bill's passed, you're already, you're already thinking about the next farm bill. Do you see the 150 increasing in the, in five years from now? Unless I hope so. That would mean that the 150 has been fully utilized and we have a lot of success stories to show for that. Um, so I don't want to get on my head on myself there. We're, we're asking about a tripling of the program right now. Yeah. And uh, so let's get that in place. Let's make sure that's a success. And uh, then we'll start building it out from there. And if you if you could look in your crystal ball, is is access 10 years from now? Is, is that going to be front and center? Absolutely. Yeah, it always will be. I mean, if without access, we lose the base of support for hunting, fishing in this country. And, uh, you know, okay, some people will be able to get to do it because they have a lot of money. But, you know, that is a that is a slippery slope we go down if we don't have that broad support for these things. That's public lands management. That's, you know, conservation and farmland. That's better management of the marine ecosystem. You name it. We want people to be participating. Yeah. Yeah, we we have a lot of issues that we keep pressing on this podcast and with Hunt Quietly. But if we don't look at this and if we're not looking 10, 15, 20 years down the road, then we're we're going to be hit behind the eight ball and it'll be futile. Totally agree. I don't know. Do you have anything else, Matt? No, uh, I, I I'm excited that you're willing to make some noise about Hunters for Access for us. Sure. Uh the best thing that people could do is go on the website and sign up to be
be on our volunteer list. I mean, they can make a donation if they want to, but more than that, I mean, the, the bread, the like bread and butter of what we're trying to do is these work projects, you know, love it. So, Wait, if you ever, those, those projects are fun too, because a lot of people want to, we had a blast yeah. and the, and the landowners were so appreciative. So we're, that's what the, we're just trying to, um, see how far a little appreciation goes, you know, and counterbalancing the bad behavior and, right. And that's yeah, the, no, listen, what's incumbent upon us as hunters to, you know, be respectful, be thoughtful, be kind and uh, give back and you know, create those relationships because that's the best way to make sure that you keep getting on that property. Yeah, you bet. I, I was just telling Matt, friend of mine saw a bachelor herd of big deer on this farm by my house. So I stopped and asked permission to hunt on the farm. And they your gave friend me permission. doesn't your friend doesn't hunt. He doesn't hunt. He just said, Hey Jim, I saw some big deer. Yeah, he lives by me too. So these these farms are well, I shouldn't say this because somebody's listening, but they, they, they know me, they know where these farms are, but these farms just, are close. Just don't just don't <laughs> remind them that you live in Tennessee. Right. Yeah. Right. <laughs> and hunt in South Florida. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> So I stopped and asked this farmer for permission. And he's just like, yeah, he's I, I, you know, I was just, I was dumbfounded. It felt nostalgic, you know? Oh, and it blows me away. So he goes, Hey, you should ask the neighbor. So I go and ask the neighbor, they give me permission. And then they, they have another farm down the road and they're like, go ask them. So I go and ask three contiguous farms totaling 326 acres i got permission just by going up and knocking on the door blew my mind now one of the farms is in the pennsylvania access program and i'm sitting there and i'm talking to the the woman who owns the farm and and i mentioned to her i'm like do you need any help because i have two teenage boys and we can come and help you with anything you need done and she just looked at me like so appreciative and couldn't believe that I offered, but I'm like, I want to keep access open to these farms because they're great farms. They're wooded. They have valleys. They have fields. They're great hunting. So I think yeah. it's important to make communication and relationships with these farm owners and landowners and build relationships so we don't lose those opportunities. Totally agree. And congratulations. So that's a great story. Yeah, we need to get somebody on from that program, Jim. I'm I'm really trying. Yeah, I I have uh I have calls out, so hopefully some of my calls will be returned and we can talk about it. Have you have you ever worked with anybody in the Pennsylvania realm of uh access? Not too much. Uh Nick Pinizato, who runs the National Deer Association, he's in Western Pennsylvania. He knows us folks super well. So maybe worth giving him a call and figure out the right person to talk to. Yeah, because when I looked into it, I, I couldn't believe it. In my own backyard, there were many farms in the program. And Pennsylvania has like one point, what did we say, Matt? 1.3 million acres of private land in the program. It was something yeah. astronomical uh in in the in the in the program. It's great. So all right. Well, Wit, thanks for taking the time and, and educating us a little bit about uh, goings on with the fa- farm bill as they 
as they pertain to uh, conservation and access. Well, Matt, anytime and uh, great talking to you and Jim, great to meet you. Likewise, Whit, thank you so much for, for coming on. It's been great talking with you. All right. Have a great weekend, guys. Yeah, you, you too. too. Take care. Yeah. Thanks. 